Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Style That Binds Us podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, Claire Bidwell-Smith. She is an internationally renowned author, speaker, and grief therapist based in Charleston. She used to live in LA. She has written three books called The Rules of Inheritance, After This, and Anxiety, The Missing Stage of Grief. By the time Claire was 25, she lost both her parents and has been able to work through this loss and turn it into an incredible career, helping others navigate this crazy thing called life. She has written for the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Guardian, the Huffington Post, and so many more. Thank you for being here, Claire. Thank you so much for having me. She's also a mother of six and a <laughs> wife and a superwoman. So first of all, we are obviously extremely sorry for your loss, but we are excited to see that you have been able to work through that, put in a lot of work and turn it around and find some positivity in that. Thank you. Yeah, I really have. It's been an important part of the healing journey was to make meaning of it, to make it mean something. So. Thank you. Yes. And so one thing in the preparation of listening to podcasts that you've been on and reading articles that you've written, something that's very easy to do when something bad in our life happens is to try and run and distract ourselves with boys or alcohol or drugs. So talk to us about some advice to address that because it's very easy to try and not be still and travel and not think about it. But usually the things that you're trying to fill that hole with they don't even, they don't make you feel better. And sometimes they make you feel worse. That is very true. And I tried a lot of those things. <laughs> I, I lost both of my parents by the time I was 25 and I'm an only child. And so, you know, there I was at 25, really in a, I'm sorry, I have a cat here with me. <laughs> COVID life, right? I'm just surrounded. Yeah. Yeah. But at 25, I was really, you know, in a different place than a lot of my peers who were, you know, post-college and in new relationships and trying out new careers and still had like their old rooms to go home to at home. Um, and I was, you know, my whole little family was gone. And so it was so, it was so much to wrap my head around with and so much to grapple with that I, I did try to run for a long time. And I, I did all those things, lots of boys, um, <laughs> lots of traveling and lots of alcohol and none of them worked. You know, they were, they were good brief distractions sometimes. And even then sometimes not, um, the thing is, you know, your problems follow you wherever you go. So you can go to Southeast Asia and meet a cute boy and have a lot of drinks and your problems and your grief are still right there with you. Right. Um, and so eventually I kind of hit rock bottom. You know, I ran through enough boys and traveling and alcohol to just be in this really empty space and a space in which my friends were like, you have to do something different. Um, for me, that looked like a lot of therapy, meditation, yoga, um, just kind of getting real and, and letting myself feel all the things that I had been trying to avoid for so long. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, my father died when I was less than two. Mm. Old. He died of leukemia and it was before they had chemotherapy or anything. So it was pretty quick. But I have been told by therapists, you know, that early childhood trauma, you know, that's one of the reasons why I have anxiety. But also someone said a couple of years ago, actually, you didn't just lose your father without understanding that, but your mother wasn't a 
emotionally available to you for a while after that either. So you, right. why you're always waiting for the other, you know, shoot a drop. You live in this sort of constant state of anxiety and you have to get the tools to know how to know what's happening and realize, okay, this is what's happening. This is why it happened. You can't change those neuro synapses or whatever it is, but you learn the tools to, you know, to, to deal with those times when you're feeling anxious. But what, so what did your healing process after your parents' death look like? Well, Lena, like you, I definitely struggled with anxiety for a long time. And I think that's, you know, my last book was about the connection between grief and anxiety and loss and anxiety. And I think it's often an overlooked symptom. Um, you know, when you go through a big loss, you came into the world kind of with that in some ways or at such a young age. But when you go through a big loss, it, it just makes you look at the world differently and it makes you feel a little more vulnerable and a little more aware that, that nothing is ever really certain. Um, and so I think grappling with that anxiety is, is a natural part of it. For me, you know, once I kind of got through a lot of my healing journey, which, which again was, you know, a lot of practices that helped me get centered and present and mindful and allowed me to sit with my pain. Um, at that point, I turned and I went back to grad school and got my master's in clinical psychology. And I knew that I just wanted to help other people, which was kind of the final part of my healing journey. Um, and so I became a grief counselor. I worked in hospice for a long time. I worked in private practice in Los Angeles for years. And I've written three books about grief and loss. And I think just helping others understand grief, helping normalize it for people who are going through it um, has been, you know, just a really meaningful part of my life. It is. And it's lovely that you are talking about something that is often hard to talk about. And that is what we are trying to work through in this episode to help people who are grieving and also their loved ones to talk about it with them. So something that is important to discuss is coexistence of emotions. So a lot of times, maybe you're going to be be feeling two things at once. So you're feeling guilty if maybe you're finding or feeling joy while you're grieving. But we want to make sure that letting people know that you don't have to pick one of those. You talk about that something can be hard and freeing at the same time. So let's discuss that. Yeah, I love that you bring that up. I think it's, you know, it's one of the things that I talk with clients a lot about. It's this idea that two things can be true at once. I think when we lose somebody we kind of feel like we're supposed to be sad all the time or we are only supposed to do things that honor them. But the truth is that we, we have to still live a meaningful life. You know, we still have to enjoy our lives, be present here and, and you don't have to pick one, right? So you can, you don't have to be sad all the time. You can be sad a lot of the time and you can have moments of, of brightness and happiness and, and, and times when you find yourself laughing, but it's, you know, it's kind of, in the beginning, when you first go through a big loss, it, it feels like you may never be happy again. And it feels like you kind of almost don't want to be happy again because it means leaving that space. And eventually, you know, the light starts to come in through the cracks and you suddenly have a day where you find yourself feeling happy and feeling excited about things. And that, and I think that's where people pause, right? And they feel guilty and they kind of stop themselves short. Um, I remember, you know, my mom died when I was 18 and I, I was in college at the time and I took a year off and I went home and stayed with my dad and we sorted through the house and all of those things. And I went back to college 
after that. And I started at a new school. And I remember the very morning of orientation, I got up and the moment my feet hit the floor out of the bed, I just burst into tears. And I I couldn't believe I was going to do something that my mom didn't know about, you know, like I was going to go to this new college that she, she had, you know, driven me to my dorm room at my very first college and done all of those things. And I just couldn't believe I was going to do this thing without her. And I felt like, like I may never be happy again. And, and that shifted for me over time, you know, and now I live this pretty vibrant, meaningful life, but I miss her still, you know, it's been 23 years and I still miss her. So I think that just knowing that you can hold multiple emotions at once is really important. Right, right, right. Well, and the other thing about when you were talking about with the anxiety that comes after grief and maybe people don't even know the word for what they're feeling, but I know in my life I have had a lot of, um, I, I have not control issues, but I always want to control things. And, you know, like the minute Delia would leave for school, I'd be thinking, well, she could get hit by a bus or she could do this or any mm-hmm. kind of bad weather or anything. And finally someone said, you've just been really holding the weight of the world on your shoulders for so long. And you have to, how, how can people come to grips with the fact that it doesn't matter how much they try to ho- control everything. They'll never, you know, be able to control it all. How do you learn to not, and hold on so tightly to everything. Yeah, I, I really relate to that. It's a, it's a common response to, to loss and to trauma. And you know, the truth is, it's, it's just you trying to protect yourself and to protect your loved ones. It's when you have that kind of anxiety and you think about car accidents or just terrible things happening, you know, it's called catastrophic thinking. And we do it because we're trying to prepare for a worst case scenario. And we think if we can think through all the terrible things that might happen, we will be prepared. Um, really, we're just stressing ourselves out further. <laughs> and it's not doing any good. Um, but we do it anyway, inherently. And I think the first thing to do when you want to break that cycle is take a minute and just have some compassion for yourself. Like, of course you're in that space. Of course you're scared. And of course you're worried about more things. And of course you want to protect this beautiful daughter you have. Um, so having some compassion for why you do it and, and how you do it is the first thing that needs to happen. Um, and then after that, starting to um, change your thought patterns, become aware of them. My favorite thing to do when I catch myself in one of those disaster scenarios, um, you know, my husband's coming home late from work and I'm sure he's dead. Um, yes. <laughs> I will, I will instead, like as soon as I catch myself in that space, I will make myself picture an opposite scenario. So I'll, I'll instead picture us like 20 years from now at my daughter's wedding or something, you know, and I will picture us, you know, with as much detail as I was picturing the catastrophic scene. Um, and so that way you're kind of pivoting and shifting your thoughts to a positive scenario. If you do that enough times, it helps to kind of start rerouting your brain to a more positive place rather than continually going back to the catastrophic one. Oh, that's a great idea. I love that. Wonderful advice. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) In one of the podcast episodes I was listening to that you were on, you said that with the control, you could basically sit on your couch and everything that was supposed to happen is still going to happen, but we still try to hold on to things Mm. so tightly. So talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, it's funny, you know, when COVID happened, 
everyone suddenly started talking about how we're all feeling really uncertain and the world is uncertain. But the truth is the world was always uncertain, you know, like there was, there was never a guarantee that we were going to wake up tomorrow or that, you know, the world wouldn't get blown up tomorrow. We're just seeing it in a more obvious way right now. Um, so you can sit on the couch all day and still not have any control over what's going to happen. And so I think that doing things like finding gratitude practices, um, doing mindfulness and meditation are some of the most powerful tools you can do to kind of bring yourself out of that, that space of wanting to hold so tightly and control everything. We just can't, but it's very uncomfortable to, to kind of give up that sense of control, that idea of control. Mm -hmm. Um, So doing things like mindfulness, which is the practice of just really bringing your awareness to the present moment, Mm -hmm. like the very exact present moment. And and you can do that by feeling your body, like very sensory things, um, taking note of the temperature in the air, um, thinking about if you're hungry or not, like what is, what does your mouth taste like right now? You know, how does, how does your, how do your hips feel like getting very, very present, um, can really help relinquish some of that tightness that we get into. Um, so I love practices like that. I know they sound daunting to people like, Oh, meditation and those things. But, um, once you kind of start to get into the habit of them, the positive reinforcement that comes is really wonderful. Yeah, I think those are great. Those are great tools that people can have in their toolbox. I think that's just really, really great advice. Thank you for sharing that with us. You're welcome. Yes, and also, like you said, meditation, we struggle with that. We try it. I have something called Wave that I highly Mm -hmm. recommend. It's an app, and it also has like a a thing that you lay on some meditation thing, but you said it is a practice. So we don't have to be hard on ourselves. If our brain and our thoughts are wandering, Mm -hmm. it's, it takes work. It's not exactly. I really recommend using an app or using some kind of just somebody to guide you through it. It's so hard to sit and meditate. We all have busy lives. We have stuff we want to do. It's just hard. And so that's okay. You know, again, be kind with yourself about it. The goal isn't to achieve some kind of Zen Buddhist on a mountaintop situation. The goal is to like take a minute for yourself or 10 minutes a day and stop your racing thoughts. You know, we wake up in the morning and we're looking at our phones before we're even out of bed and we are downloading tons of information in just a few swipes around on our phone and, and our brains are just going a million miles a minute. And so taking 10 minutes a day and just kind of decompressing and stopping that like crazy stream of thoughts is really helpful. That's great. It's so interesting to me because, it, you know, what I do first thing, like you said, is I look over my calendar and, and I, I, in my mind, I'm helping myself to be prepared to know mm-hmm. coming up, this is how much time you have for this, even if I put in some time for rest. But by the time I get through doing that, I'm all just, you know, right. and I put something on social media and I asked, you know, do you feel better in the morning if you go over your schedule and your emails first thing, or do you feel more stressed? And like 80% said they felt better. But I wonder after they answered it a few minutes later, I bet they thought, well, (laughs) it really gets me all revved up and I start the day, you know, I'll come in to get coffee and I'm like, are you feeling stressed? You know, and Jay's like, no, I haven't even finished my breakfast yet, you know, and I'm already like keyed up. So um, yeah, try a practice of like, just for a few mornings, get up in the morning. Don't look at your phone for 25 minutes, like get out of bed, 
have your coffee, look outside for a minute, like just let your thoughts be your thoughts for the day. And then let yourself look at your phone after like 25 minutes. Right. And also you said writing for 15 minutes, just write out all your thoughts. Absolutely. Writing is one of my favorite tools as well. Um, I think most people, again, it, it's, it's one of those things that may sound daunting, but you don't have to be a writer. You don't have to share it with anyone. It doesn't have to be any kind of beautiful sentence structure. You're writing to get things out, you know, so that when you get up in the morning, you just kind of pour out whatever you're feeling or thinking, and you get to leave it there on the page and go about your day. Like it's a great receptacle for just alleviating anxiety and putting some things out there that you don't need to hold on to all day. Mm-hmm great idea. All right. So things are so uncertain right now, or maybe they always were, (laughs) which I know you're definitely right about. But um, as, as we are realizing this is still with us as time, I was listening to a podcast with you. I don't know who that. Drop in the bucket. It's not the English girls. It was the one before that, that I listened to. And you guys listened to all of them. Wow. We researched Claire. (laughs) (laughs) But you were saying, no, the other person who was interviewing you was talking about how for the first four weeks she was great. And then now it's been three more weeks and her husband's job is on the line and the kids are da, 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 da. And I thought, I wonder now whatever happened with that family, you know, it's like, we really are in the thick of it now. It is not gone. It is not going anytime soon. So like you can't really plan ahead. You can't plan for the fall. You can't even really plan for the holidays. Um, what should we be doing? Just, (laughs) just saying, well, we're just going to take it day by day or. Yeah. I mean, I think right now I am seeing this across the board with my clients and with my friends, this kind of cumulative stress that we've all accrued. Um, you know, it, I was thinking about, I have three children and with each, each birth I've had the first few weeks, like there's a lot of energy and you're just kind of excited and amped up. And then, and then around the two month mark, this like cumulative exhaustion hits you, you know, and you're just like, you've been awake for two months and you've right. been on this heightened state of alert with your kid and your new baby. And I feel like it's kind of like that, like we're all a little exhausted by this, I think. Um, and you're right. We can't, we can't plan ahead. It just continues to elude us how long this is going to go on for what's going to bring it to an end. Um, and so I think that we have to do a lot of self-care right now. You know, I think we really have to step that up. And if you're not already just taking time to either seek support, get some help, like it's so okay to ask for help, you know, do some therapy sessions, talk to your doctor about medication, download a meditation app, you know, tell your family that you really need once a week to just take baths or whatever it is that's going to make you feel a little more calm and taken care of. Um, Because we don't know how long we're going to be in this for. And I think that we have to just kind of bolster for that and, and just be again, compassionate towards ourselves. I can't emphasize that enough. We're always beating ourselves up, right? Like we should be doing this better. There's no blueprint for going through this pandemic. We don't know how to do this. We have to just do it the best we can. I've thought so much about like you, people your age that have all these little kids at home and the Mm -hmm. idea of either letting them go into what could be a potentially disastrous scenario or keeping them home and what that means for everybody's mental health. So we're all facing so many problems that there really isn't a a good solution for. Yeah. And we, I don't think we're going to know if we're making the right, you know, choice until 
you know, months or years from now, none of us, small, small ones, big ones, um, culturally, nationally, we just don't know yet. So I think we have to do the best we can do it with kindness and compassion and take care of ourselves while we're in this. Yes. And like you were saying, everybody being so hard on themselves. I was at a Soho house event once and it was a panel with four or five female entrepreneurs. And you would not believe the things that they say about themselves. And, you know, they're incredible, accomplished women, but they are just so hard. Everybody's so hard on themselves. No, it's really true. I think it's, um, I see it a lot too when people are feeling vulnerable. So, you know, in the, in the people I work with who are grieving um, or right now during this pandemic, pe- like p- people think they're not supposed to be falling apart, but it's okay to fall apart, you know? Um, and it's okay to ask for help and it's okay to need support and it's okay to not know how to do this. Right. Yes. Oh my goodness. Well, that goes nicely into the next question, which is during lockdown, and social media is so dangerous, I think, sometimes, but instead of stressing ourselves out and trying to be productive and baking all the bread and, you know, (laughs) crunching in as much, (laughs) many things as we can possibly do during lockdown, maybe, and you've talked about this in some of the podcast episodes, it's a nice time to look inward and take inventory. How are we doing spiritually and things like that? So let's explore that. Yeah, it really is an amazing time right now. Um, Yeah, I've been talking about this, you know, in the beginning of the pandemic when everybody was doing like the ab challenge and like these (laughs) things and, and, and it just felt really stressful. It felt like more stress on top of stress, right? For me, I was like, I don't, I can't work on my abs right now. Right. (laughs) Like I'm scared and stressed out. Um, And so I think it's a really great time to, you know, look inward, take a pause, think about your spirituality, think about your inner life, um, take a minute to maybe, you know, I, I see this a lot again in grief. It's like, um, it's almost like another stage of the grieving process where people start to question their spirituality or religion. You know, some of us are brought up with something, some of us aren't, some of us maybe have something that we're, we're not sure is working anymore. And I think those things come into play right now. You know, we have to kind of seek meaning. We have to seek a deeper understanding of this time in our lives and where our strengths lie. And it's a really beautiful time to, to kind of reflect on those things. So pick up a book, you know, if there's a certain author or, you know, again, like a a different kind of spirituality that's appealed to you, like be curious, take a peek around, read some things about that. Um, I think it's also a great time for ritual because we can't do all the things that we usually do. We're not gathering, we're not going to church or we're not going to, um, you know, yoga studios. We're we're not doing these things that I think had a real sense of ritual for us. So creating our own rituals at home, whatever that looks like. And again, you know, get creative, just open up to it, light some candles, pick a certain time of day, say a certain kind of prayer or a mantra, whatever works for you. And I think it will be really healing. I think that's wonderful. It like instead of thinking about I have I have had all this time and I haven't written my novel. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Thinking about ways and it's so against the grain to say, you know, what are new ways that I can take care of myself? What are new ways that I can feel better? You know, who you feel bad just saying those things out loud sometimes, you know, especially as a woman. So giving permission and not even just permission, but almost like it is imperative that you do this to get, you have got to find, you know, a way to to take care of yourself. Right. 
Absolutely. I think productivity doesn't always have to be an outward thing. You know, I think we, we tend to really um, feel good about ourselves when we can when we can show an outward level of productivity, you know, like I just read another book or, you know, I was, you know, I went to the gym today or I, I made my porch look nice. And this isn't really the time for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think inner productivity is a really, really useful and healing thing to be doing. That's exciting. Okay. Talk to us about being your own advocate in the healthcare system. Delia was telling me about when you had a panic attack after your mother's death. And you were turned away at the at ER. The- they just, they were saying, you know, oh, this is normal. You explain. It was your story. Yeah. Um, I, I think I had my first panic attack right after my mother died when I was 18. And I ended up in the ER thinking I was like having a heart attack or something. And, you know, the doctors, I was so young and the doctors checked me out and they just declared me perfectly healthy and they, they were trying to ask me if I did drugs or anything weird and I didn't. And, um, they just kind of sent me on my way. And, and, and so for a long time, I thought there was something wrong with me. My panic attacks continued to come and I just really thought there was something wrong with me. And it it took a long time and a lot of studying and just different kinds of research to, to start to put the pieces together that, um, my anxiety, my panic attacks were directly linked to my grief and my loss. Um, and so I think that, I think that that is changing for the better, uh, for sure in our society. I think we're getting better about looking, um, at things that cause emotional stress. You know, I think for a long time, doctors were just trying to treat symptoms and not people. Um, and that is changing, but not, it's not all the way there yet. Um, and it's what we see, we see it happen a lot too in, you know, just anyone who's in a long-term illness in a hospital setting, the, the staff are, are often treating the symptoms and the illness rather than getting to know the person and what's, what's going on behind it. Um, and so I think trying to, you know, be your own advocate, do your own research, you know, seek multiple opinions if possible. Don't always believe the first person you talk to, you know, take bits and pieces from different people. I think that's important. Right. And you were saying that if they had just stopped to ask you what's happening in your personal life that could have maybe caused this, then it would have saved you years of searching and and unanswered thinking that something's wrong with you and nothing's wrong with you. Absolutely. You know, that was the one thing they just didn't do. If they had asked me if I was stressed out, I would have said, well, my mom just died and I'm, right. I, you know, supposed to be going away to college and my dad also has cancer and I'm an only child. And, um, and that would have been so obvious that I was having panic attacks, but that wasn't what happened. Oh, that is so frustrating about going to the doctor and you, you're trying to voice something. This happened to me last summer. I'm like, okay, this is happening to me. And then they're like, I don't understand what you're saying. And then the, I end up crying and they're like, why are you so emotional? <laughs> and then you think something's wrong with you, but they're just right. not doing a good job. Right, right, right. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. And I think they also don't spend a lot of time thinking about how stress can actually lead to right. physical illness too, you know, and, and vice versa. You can have physical symptoms from something that. Yeah, to- absolutely. That's why it's important to kind of um, work on anxiety too. Like we were talking about, like all that catastrophic thinking, it can put a lot of stress on your body. You know, if you spend a whole afternoon having that kind of catastrophic thinking, it, you know, it releases certain stress hormones in your, in your system and just kind of keeps you in that heightened state of alert all the time. And it's, it's not good for us physically. Right. 
I heard somebody say recently, once you have a child, you always live in that state. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you always be to learn. That's true. There, ha- there have been studies that have shown how women's brains change after giving birth um, and in ways that men's don't, which I think is interesting too. That is very interesting. But I do think, because I, I would ask my friends, are you not so, because one of my friends has four children. I said, are you not, how do you go through your day with four kids <laughs> worrying about them? you know, getting hit by a bus or something at school. And she's like, I, I never think that way. And, <laughs> hmm. and now I know it's called catastrophic thinking. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the phrase, it's time to move on. We hear a lot about this. And especially since grief is not something that people like to talk about or address because it's an unhappy thing. So let's let people know that there isn't a certain time when things then we need to be over something. This can be grief for anything, grief of losing a person, a breakup, a job, a Mm -hmm. life change, anything. So then I was thinking, oh, maybe it's more about learning to live without someone. So maybe it's more of a lifelong thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really can be a lifelong thing and often is. I think that the, the big message that I'm always trying to impart is that there's no right way to grieve. And grief is so individual. There's universal traits, of course. Um, There are certain feelings that many people will have when they're grieving. But the way that it plays out and the sequence of feelings that you have or the reactions you have or the amount of support you have around you, it looks different for every single person. And because of that, we can't can't estimate how long it's going to take someone to grieve. Um, I don't think we grieve forever necessarily, but I do know that we we don't ever get over losing someone we love. You know, I'm not over the fact that my mom died. I'm not actively grieving and I have a great life and I'm, I'm not on my knees crying about it in the way I was in the first few years, but it's something that I live with and that follows me into my, you know, into my life. I have thought about her on the births of my children, you know, with different career successes, getting married. Like it's, it's something that follows me through every piece of my life. Um, and so I think that sometimes people really think where they somehow get the message that they're supposed to be over their loss and they're supposed to move on. Um, and the truth is that, you know, we, we move forward. We don't move on, you know, we don't have to get over someone. It's okay to still miss a person, you know, 20, 30 years later. Um, Yeah, it's a really important thing that I'm always trying to encourage people to understand more about. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and also like you were saying, everyone breathes differently. You feel like, okay, culturally, I should be crying so much, but you were saying for the first year after your mother's death, you didn't cry, and then all of a sudden Mm -hmm. you started crying. So Mm -hmm. everyone's going to react in different ways. Mm -hmm. It's true. People, I mean, it's, and it's, again, it goes back to that compassion thing. People walk into my office and they're already just being so hard on themselves and they come in and they say, I think I'm doing this wrong. I'm grieving wrong. (laughs) I'm like, I'm crying too much or I'm not crying enough or I'm angry all the time or I'm kind of stuck in this space and there's no right way to do it, you know? And I think figuring out what is coming up for you and what kind of ways you need support and where you might get stuck there's, it's, it's going to look different for every single person. For sure. Mm-hmm. And let's talk more about physical reactions that our body can show from grief or stress. So you might not even realize that the reason that your arm is hurting mm-hmm. is because you're so stressed. Yeah. I mean, I think people really underestimate the physical toll that stress and grief and 
anger and emotional pain can have on our bodies. Um, we have a, a lot of responses that happen, you know, when we're having anxious thoughts or, or we're overwhelmed with sadness, there are certain hormones and chemicals that are released um, in a, almost in like a fight or flight kind of way, especially when we're anxious. Um, so when we keep ourselves in that kind of, again, that heightened state of alert, there's adrenaline running, there's, you know, just so many different kinds of chemicals that are keeping us in that in that, that response where we're going to be able to, you know, fight or flight if we need to. And it's just really not good for our bodies. So again, finding ways to meditate, to do um, exercises, great. Doing some cardio is really good for stress relieving. Um, I think that just finding ways to tune in with your body, check in with it, you know, just do like a little, you know, just a little scan of how are you feeling right now? And, um, how is your body responding? And are you, where are you holding your nervous energy? Where are you holding your sadness? And then doing some, just some things to kind of relieve it or move it around is really important. I realized I have, well, I have a herniated disc in my neck and it has been very, very painful, but they showed me the x-ray of my neck and my neck looked like, you know, a, a steel column or something. And the man mm-hmm. said, it's not supposed to be straight up and down like this. Or <laughs> a little and he said, this is showing, you know, that's me. That's walking around with that kind of stress. And so I think that's what I've been trying to do is check in and say, you know, are you holding your, are you tense? Are you holding your neck tense? You know, just taking deep breaths. I think that's, a, that, that's something important for everybody to do. You know, when you were having all this anxiety, were you flight or fight? Oh, it just depended on the day, really. <laughs> I love it. I, love it. <laughs> I was totally flight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That flares up. All right. So let's give our audience permission to grieve. Any symptoms or feelings of grief we should be aware of that we may not realize are stemming from grief. So, yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, kind of like we talked about at that, the beginning of, of this episode, like when you are pushing away your grief or your feelings, when right. you're, you know, turning to alcohol or traveling or boys, right. um, all of that grief spills out in other places, right? It spills out often in anxiety. Um, for men, you'll see a lot of anger, like often for men, they go through a lot of anger, partially because they're taught culturally that they're not allowed to be sad and feel vulnerable. Um, so anger is this kind of other emotion that they will let themselves have. Um, partially we, we go, we feel anger because it's, it's a powerful emotion and it's kind of easier to feel angry than sad. Mm -hmm. If you peel up the lid of anger, almost always underneath it, you will find fear or sadness, Sure, which is an interesting thing. So, you know, signs that we're not addressing it are, you know, that it's it's spilling out in these ways. We're disrupting relationships or we're falling into substance abuse, or we're just not being present. Um, We're finding any way we can to tune out. Um, And so taking a minute and again, kind of almost doing like an emotional scan this time and saying like, do I just need to let myself cry? What do I need to be feeling right now? And I think one of the big reasons that we suppress grief is because we're so scared that if we, if we let ourselves start crying, we're never going to stop. Or if we open that door to that emotional pain, we're never going to be able to close it. But that's not true. And I think if you really are afraid of that, then the best thing to do is just find some support. You know, so many people come to me as clients because they just need someone to sit there with them while they're feeling all this stuff because it's too overwhelming and scary. Um, And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it was too hard for me for a period of years too. Right. You just, 
if you haven't experienced it before, you don't know how deep it will be. You know, right? Exactly. Can you handle it? Can you take that kind of grief? So having someone there with you—that's really good advice too. Exactly. I think, well, I don't—I don't even want to talk about it. You know, you don't even have to talk. You can sit there and just have someone else there who will make sure you—you know—you'll live through it. Right. Okay. And then also talking about control, I feel like, you know, things that we can control, that's probably where eating disorders or maybe exercising so much, mm. things like yeah. that. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Um, I think that, I think we do that a lot. I think we turn to those things because those are, you're right, those are really easy things that we can control. And those are things that we also often start in adolescence or young adulthood because we don't have the tools yet at that point to know, you know, how to do mindfulness or meditation or ask for help or those things. So we just immediately turn to those first places and things that we can control. And, and I, and I know that when you start to work on relieving those, those kinds of disorders, Again, underneath, you find a lot of sadness and grief that maybe needs to be addressed and worked through. Mm, that is very interesting. Yes. Especially what you said about during adolescence. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Why, why so many of these things show up in adolescence. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We're just not developmentally capable in, at that time in our lives. So if we don't have the support or people around us steering us in the right direction of how to manage all of those feelings, then we often just turn to the, the best thing that we can do, the best thing we can figure out, whether it's substance abuse or boys or eating disorders. Right. And maybe you do have the support, but they're just not leading you in the right way. Yeah. yeah. By accident. Yeah. Give us some words of wisdom for how to stay strong and survive even in the darkest of days and give our audience hope for a brighter future ahead. Well, I, I, I like to talk about this a lot. I, um, I think that one of the things that people don't realize with grief is that it's really transformative. You know, grief is a reflection of how much we love someone or something. Grief is a reflection of how much we wanted to hold on to something, some way of life or a person, part of ourselves. And when we have to let go of it, it's a really painful process, but it also it demands that we that we change and that we transform. And often when we do that, we find new parts of ourselves that are really beautiful and valuable. Um, it's painful along the way, but yeah. I look back at who I was going into my losses and who I am now and how they have shaped me. And, you know, they, it's changed my life. It's made me a very compassionate, involved person in the world. And, and I'm, and I'm really grateful for that. And I wouldn't, I don't know if I could take it back, you know? So I think people should remember that even when we're going through really difficult times, whether it's this pandemic or it's a personal loss or, or tragedy, you'll come out on the other side at some point with, with things that you will gain that you'll be grateful for. And that's a great way to put it because so many people say you'll be stronger because of this. And everyone's response is, I don't want to be stronger. But right. explain it in that, that actually you will be in a more real, you know, fulfilling space in the world, then mm-hmm. people hope to keep going on. Okay. So acceptance and understanding when something, some things are going to happen that are going to be bad. Some things, um, no matter how, or, or they did happen like for you or like when I was a little girl and I wish my daddy would walk up the driveway, you know, these things, they're just, no matter how much you wish, they're not going to happen. So how can people learn to accept it and move on? 
Um, I, I think, you know, it goes back to that idea of two things at once. You know, we don't always have to accept it. I think acceptance and closure is sometimes kind of mythical, right? Yeah. Or like, I think we can come to acceptance multiple times. You may think you've accepted something and then life takes another turn. You know, mm-hmm. um, when I went through a divorce, you know, years ago, it brought up a lot of old grief that I thought I had finished. I thought I, you know, was on the other side of, and then it kind of came back with that. So I think that we have to, um, you know, let it be okay that we live with these things and we can still create and seek meaningful lives, even though, and and maybe because we understand that there are harder parts to it. Mm -hmm. You know, my father said in his dying days that we would never know how beautiful life was if we didn't also know about death and sorrow. You know, it makes us appreciate things that, um, that we maybe wouldn't otherwise. Right. All right. Advice for someone who feels very alone right now. If you have, well, for example, you were so young when you lost both of your parents. So how, can people be reminded that they're not alone? Well, I think you should first know that you're not alone and feeling alone. I think people are really struggling right now. Um, I think, you know, if it's grief that you're feeling, grief is always a little bit lonely. You know, it's this because it's this thing that no one else can really inhabit for you and no one else can truly understand what your experience is. Um, And then right now we're all lonely and we're isolated and there are people who are truly all on their own um, living alone. They don't have partners or children and they're in a house or an apartment somewhere. Um, I think that we have to, again, be really kind to ourselves about this. Let it be okay that you're not feeling okay. Um, ask for help. There are so many amazing resources and things out there. Uh, the Everyone I know in the grief world has really stepped up in such beautiful and profound ways to bring together um, offerings and support online. It's better than nothing. And, and I think that we have to do that. Um, turn towards that, that inner productivity, you know, explore your religion or spirituality, create some rituals, um, start a meditation practice. I think all of these things will really help bolster that feeling of aloneness. That's a good idea. Delia was in her apartment by herself for two months in the city in New York and she would take wellness, did you call them wellness walks? Where <laughs> yeah. she walked the city alone. The city was, you know, pretty dead. Everybody else had left. But yeah, um, any kind of things like that to keep, um, you know, to keep your spirits up. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So the next thing is talk to us about the transformation of grief and how that can be a great opportunity, reminder, chance to do better, et cetera. Well, yeah, I think I touched on this a little bit, but I, I really think that we should look at grief as an opportunity to kind of like let us break down, let yourself fall apart, and then we kind of get to rebuild in a new way. Mm-hmm. And it sounds easy and simple on the outside and feels really different when you're in the throes of grief, and I understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in terms of just kind of having some hope of getting through these hard times or getting through a really big loss, there will be a rebuilding that will come and there will be new parts of yourself that you'll discover that you'll be so grateful for. And I think we just have to keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Um, do you have advice right now? So let's say we talked about this a little bit earlier, but you know, it's so hard to know what to say to people when they are grieving Do you have advice for the people who are listening today, for all of us, 
ways to help when we have friends and family that are grieving? Yeah, I think we have to just be curious and meet people where they're at. Um, I think sometimes we feel uncomfortable when we watch people in pain. Um, I think we all do. You know, it's really hard to see people that we love in pain and in grief and struggling. So we kind of go in trying to fix it. And with grief, it doesn't really work to fix it. You can't fix it. You can't bring the person back, you know. The most you can do is offer your presence, your compassion. Um, it's okay to say that you don't know what to say. It's okay to say, you know, I, I'm here. I don't know what to do or what to say, but I'm here and I love you. Um, or just to ask them how they're feeling. Um, I think that it's important to be curious about other people's experiences. Um, let them let them lead the way of how they want to deal with it. People go through a lot of different phases when they're grieving. So they may be at points when they don't want to talk about it. They may be at points when they really want to talk about it. So just trying to kind of meet them where they're at. One thing I'll say is that um, when someone goes through a big loss, there's a really big flurry of activity in the first few weeks and months and everyone's kind of around and they're bringing casseroles and they're sending you text messages to remind you that they're there. And then around the three month mark, it all drops off. So if you know someone who's gone through a big loss, reach out to them a year later, six months later, nine months later, because that's when it gets really hard and really lonely. Okay. That's good advice. It's nice to, um, it's almost like set your calendar for three months later. Yeah. And that's definitely. what we needed. Yeah. I think that's great advice. What I have done as a person is I don't like sad movies. I don't like to, to see my mother cry when she talks about my father and how wonderful he was. So I just try and avoid situations that make me sad, which is not mature. And I know I should move past that. But the question that Delia had, had proposed was, do you have advice for a parent who is grieving the loss of a child? Mm, it's, it's really one of the hardest ones. I think, you know, it's, it's hard to, to say that like one grief is bigger than another, but that is a loss that is just, it's not supposed to happen. You know, we're not supposed to say goodbye to our children. Um, and it's a loss that absolutely follows you for the rest of your life. It's part of everything that happens in the rest of your life. It has an enormous impact on, you know, marriages and other children that you may have on those relationships. Mm -hmm. um, I think it is really, really vital to seek support. I think that is also a loss where you can feel very alone um, in it. And so seeking support in the form of support groups with other parents who have gone through this in the form of therapists and books and kind of anything you can get to kind of help you get through that. The first years are just brutal. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's that kind of space where you come to learn to live with it, but it's one of those things that will follow mm -hmm. a parent forever. Mm -hmm. um, so seeking support, finding ways to make meaning down the road, you know, finding ways to honor them, doing things um, that you feel like your child would have wanted to do or wanted you to do or doing something in their name is really, mm -hmm. is really can be, is very healing. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a, it's a really tough one. There's not an easy fix for it. There's not a simple thing I can say that, that is the thing, you know, it's um, no seeking support, is it? Yeah, I think it's getting a, every, like you just said, this whole 360 approach to support. I think about whenever I saw my grandmother, I look like my father. So whenever I saw my grandmother as a little girl, she would put her hands on my face and just, you know, touch my eyebrows and my hair and just cry, you know, and I just thought, God, <laughs> it's such a burden for me as a little girl, I, you know, because she was missing her son so much. It was, you know, there's just so many 
things that happen to you around grief that, that make things complicated? What advice for someone who's lost their spouse or a child losing their parent? And, you know, it's, it's always so individual and so different. Um, I have had clients who have lost spouses and they have created amazing new lives afterwards. You know, like they found opportunities in life that they maybe wouldn't have had if they'd continued to have that marriage and that relationship. And then I've had other clients who've lost spouses and, and it's something that is, you know, has really created a a hole in their life and their heart. And it's been very difficult for them to rebuild. Um, So it's, it's so different for everyone. And then, you know, losing a parent, I think, um, at any age is difficult. I have friends right now who are losing parents and it's, it's incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. I myself lost mine younger, but mm-hmm. I think again, just this, this permission to grieve and this permission to grieve the way you need to grieve is really important. Um, and seeking out support. There's when, when my mom died 23 years ago, which was my first big loss, there was not anything like there is today. You know, now there's podcasts and books and online support groups, and there's just so much out there that can help you understand what it is you're feeling and and how you need to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it probably, I haven't experienced those things that, you know, those two things, but probably like you said about understanding that it's, okay to be happy sometimes you know you're not leaving your spouse behind or the child that you had with that husband if you're remarrying you know you're not abandoning the child of the husband or you know it's just so complicated right mm-hmm. yeah absolutely okay your parents got sick when you were 14 so did you feel like you had to grow up too quickly Yes. Um, in many ways, um, in some ways I feel like I got stuck as a teenager, (laughs) you know, it's this twofold thing. Uh Um, I, I felt like I had to understand the world in a way that most of my peers didn't, you know, way before they ever did. Um, I knew things about mortality, about human, you know, frailty, knew things about myself that I, don't think I would have known at that age. Um, and that's not all a bad thing. Uh, it was difficult for sure. But I also feel like there were, t- there were ways in which I, I had this like stunted growth where I kind of got stuck as an adolescent. Yeah. Um, so there was that aspect of it too. And I feel like over the years of my adult life, I've had to kind of integrate the two. Right. And it's been, a, it's been a process. Right. That's very interesting. Um, can you tell us real quickly about your three books? Yeah, um, they're all about grief and loss, and they've kind of been this succession. My first book, The Rules of Inheritance, is a memoir just about going through those losses, all the boys, the alcohol, the travel, <laughs> um, and then kind of coming through on the other side. So that's just like a really personal story. My second book is all about how looking into different views of the afterlife affect our grief process. And it was pretty personal. I talked to dozens of psychic mediums. I got into shamanism, Buddhism, um, talked to rabbis and priests. I did all kinds of stuff, past life regression, just to kind of look at different ideas about what happens when we die. Um, Because that's a natural question that comes up when you go through loss. And then my most recent book is Anxiety, The Missing Stage of Grief, which is this overlooked symptom I was seeing in all of my clients was a lot of anxiety after a big loss. Mm. Yeah, I probably need to read that. <laughs> yes. What about tips for grieving with resentment? So don't you think it could be very easy to resent someone who still has a mom, spouse, or child? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's really hard. And this goes back to that kind of like seeking out support and people who understand you. Um, I started doing a lot of work with a woman named Hope Edelman who wrote a book called Motherless Daughters. Mm -hmm. And she and I started running retreats together. And when I found this kind of community of other women who'd lost moms young, it really changed everything for me. And it really took the edge off of that resentment I would feel sometimes. And I, because I felt very understood, I did a lot of work to understand what it means to go through that kind of loss. And I think when I had been in a more painful place and felt more alone, that was when my resentment was stronger. When I felt less alone and found this community of support, my resentment was gone. Grieving at the office. This is something that can be very hard. And I loved the article that you wrote with Forbes. So talk about how bosses and colleagues should react instead of avoiding the topic. Yeah, I think um, I think a lot needs to change around workplace ideas about grief because I think that um, I don't think we're allotted enough time. You know, we all, bereavement leave is usually what a few days or a week or something, and it's always right in the beginning too of the loss. And again, this idea that grief can sometimes get a little harder around the three to six to nine month mark, and in the beginning, you're you're right. in a lot of shock and denial, and there's a lot of stuff happening, and then deeper into the loss, you're feeling much more alone and the reality of it is sinking in and you need a lot more support. And that's often the time when people aren't considering that you're grieving anymore. So I think workplaces need to be more aware of this. I think there's a lot of really great trainings out there for bosses and colleagues that they can become more aware of grief practices. I think it is helpful to address it um, with your, with your coworkers or colleagues, if it's something that's happening in your office. So, yeah. Mm. Tips to create a more healthy and meaningful life. Um, I think, you know, all these things, I think remembering this idea that two things can be true at once. So let it, letting you, letting yourself hold the pain and sadness and things that are happening in your life that are hard. And also letting yourself find joy, seek joy, create joy in your life. I think sometimes we have to actively create and seek joy. You know, I don't think it's something that's always going to land in our laps, especially in a time like this with COVID. So, you know, put on funny romantic movies, start a garden, start a new hobby, you know, right. do things that, that really spark joy. And I think that sometimes we have to make an effort to do that. And then it starts to kind of build on itself from there. Great advice. Great advice. Okay. What's next for you? That's a good question. Um, I'm thinking about working on some more books. I'm seeing tons of clients. I'm trying to create a lot of online programs and I'm trying to raise my little, my little children that I love so much. Um, I've got a lot on my plate, but I, I just, I'm always trying to kind of continue this conversation about grief. And I'm so, so grateful to people like you, especially, you know, coming from a different realm um, of fashion and style and design of bringing in these topics. It's just important for everyone to be talking about it. So I'm really grateful for you to doing this. Oh my goodness. Thanks. Well, thank you're you so nice. much for your wisdom. Where can people find you? And I think you're not taking any more clients. Is that correct? No, I'm back open. Um, to, I am doing some more client work now, which is great. So um, ClaireBidwellSmith.com and I'm on all the social medias, Claire Bidwell Smith on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. So yeah. Amazing. And you're doing virtual sessions, so it can be from anywhere, right? 
I am. And I have a lot of online courses too, where you um, can just do them in the middle of the night on your own time, things like that. So yes. Oh my goodness. And we'll link to all her books in the show notes. Claire, thank you for opening yourself up and allowing yourself to be vulnerable in order to help others. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. You're amazing. Okay. If you like what you heard, tell a friend about our show, subscribe to our podcast, and also scroll to the bottom and give a rating and or a review. Those are the best ways for other people to find out about our podcast. See you next time. Bye.